By the time the world of movies and the world of education get into the streets of black America, some strange things happen. Because what history and the movies have told the black man is that he's nobody unless he joins the white world. That is not true. Do not believe that. That is dead wrong. They don't discriminate against me because I'm a Christian. They're discriminating against me because I'm black. I grudge them, grudge them on, you know. I threw him a fight for black liberation. And him a one true warrior. Them I want to try to stop him. But them can't stop the man. Them can't stop Raheem Shabazz. That's why anytime me want to listen to revolutionary liberation vibes, me tune into Necessary Blackness podcast. Me not hear them like a Yaga Yaga podcast them. I be your Necessary Blackness me rock with. Anytime me want your true warrior talking. Lord God. Check out MCJ musicculturejournalism.com hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music culture and journalism mcj is the premier destination for culture driven video and editorial content around the country check out musicculturejournalism.com log on today Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docu-series. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly in revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Peace of Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz. And we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. Now today, I have a special guest. Uh, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a subject matter that is rarely talked about. Unless it personally affects you or someone that's close to you. But we all know that there's someone who had contact or intervention by CPS, Child Protective Service. They either have been called on them or they showed up at the house or you're currently under investigation. And usually the outcome is never positive. So today, we're going to interview Bikora Walia Shabazz. And she is very familiar with the inner workings of CPS, the foster care system, and the overall effect it has on black society. Peace, sister. How are you doing? Peace. I am well, thank you. How are you? I am good. I am good. Now, me and you, we have spoken extensively offline. So I personally know the backstory of the trials and tribulations that you are dealing with. And we're going to get to that. 
But before we get to that, I want to ask you a few questions, right? Just to give some preliminary information to those that don't know about CPS and their function, what they do, and what they're doing to undermine black society and to, as you and I know, to steal black children because there is a war to steal black children. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you, why are so many black children removed from the homes by CPS and placed in foster care? One, black people are vulnerable and have been, have been vulnerable in the United States since 16, 19. We haven't been afforded many protections um, be it by law, be it by law enforcement, be it by policy. And so it makes it that much easier for our children to be um, stolen from us. Uh, and then once the child is removed, they make it almost impossible for you to get your child back. If you can go yeah. back briefly and tell us what was the situation surrounding your granddaughter, Seven, how did it transpire? And what were some of the things that happened so that other people could know what to look out for? Most definitely. Most definitely. So um, my daughter had her baby on Christmas of, um, of last year. And what had happened was um, she took the baby to the regular checkups and uh, baby turned, I think it was eight weeks. And she went to the eight week checkup. That's when they first get vaccines, which I'm against vaccines, but that's her daughter. She do what she chooses. So the baby went for the vaccines. Everything was fine. And of course, she got a fever that afternoon. So she took the baby back to the emergency room. They did a septic workup and they did um, x-rays. And then they found fractures, unexplained fractures in the ribs and the clavicle fracture. So this was their first time hearing anything about it. So they're just as surprised as the doctors are. Um, Hospitals are mandatory reporters. Everybody has to report what they think could be abuse, not what they think is abuse. It just can't be a could be abuse. Um, and that will initiate a, um, a, a reporting. And so they reported it, which we did not have a problem with. Um, it was what came afterwards that we have a problem with. So um, the baby was transferred over to Vanderbilt Hospital, which is a DCS hospital. And what that means is that um, if any hospital that contracts with Child Protective Services or the Department of Children's Services that is included in their budget is a CPS um, hospital. This particular hospital receives $2.2 million from DCS out of its budget every year. So they transported the baby over there, and the child abuse expert says um, that the baby's injuries are consistent with child physical abuse, absent any underlying um, identifiable uh, uh, disease. And so um, the way they word it is particularly important because it excludes them from ever being liable of any culpability when it comes to a faulty um, diagnosis of child abuse. And so the way that that's worded means that it can go one of two ways. And this is what's crazy. That can mean that, yes, it was child abuse or no, it wasn't child abuse. Um, And so the agency will use that to say, well, we're going to continue our investigation and we're going to act as if this is what they're saying, that it is actually abuse when, in fact, that is not what that statement says at all. It's not conclusive. 
of anything, it just gives them the room they need to just say that something is abuse. And that's what's so horrible about all of it. And that's one of the things that I notice is that with language, with words, it can be manipulated. So when you manipulate the language and wording, and for someone that's a novice and don't understand the inner workings of CPS, you can really catch yourself in a blind spot and you can have your child taken away from you. So as a result of them saying that um, absent any, uh, what did they say, absent any? Yeah. So what happens after that <laughs> is the worker will say to you, and often, most times they'll say, if you don't sign this protective agreement, we're going to take this baby from you right now. And so you got parents that are distraught. You know, they're just hearing that their child is injured. They're trying to find out what happened. You got the police there. They're under duress. There's no, there is no case where there is a parent that is not abusing their child, would not be under duress in that situation. But yet, here comes DCS with a contract for you to sign when you're not and you can't be mentally cognizant of what it is you're signing. So guess what you do? You sign it. When they don't have a right to have you sign a contract without it being voluntarily done. And so if, you, if you're saying you're going to do something that's such as take away somebody's child, of course they're going to sign it. And let me ask you law, something. Yes. What what does this protective agreement stipulates and why can they almost make you sign this contract and this agreement without the advice of a lawyer? So um, because this is not a criminal investigation, um, the rules are kind of different when it comes to Miranda. And that's that's part of um, Seven Angels, the laws that we're putting in forward to, to fight this is that you should be Mirandized and you should be afforded an attorney as soon as you are approached by DCS um, because it is in fact an interrogation at the moment that they come into contact with um, parents or anybody that is suspected of um, abuse and the reason why this goes unnoticed a lot of times is because you don't have that um, legal protection there. You don't have an attorney there to protect these parents to say, hey, um, we're not going to sign this and you can't take the baby if we don't. The law says that the, the signing of an IPA must be voluntarily. And so the agency is say, well, it was voluntarily, but the parent would be like, well, you didn't tell me that I had a choice. But that that nine times out of ten never comes out of the wash. It's never a question that's asked. There is no recording of anything. There's nothing that you got to sign that says that this order is that this agreement is voluntarily. You just have the agency saying, well, they signed it in their free will. When that is not true, you shouldn't have anybody signing any contracts at any time when you are presenting you know, somebody that's going to be in duress because they're finding out that their child is hurt. They're now under investigation. You've got the police here. You might be getting your child taken away from you. Your child put it up for adoption. That's just too much stress to be bringing somebody a contract to sign at that, at that time. All right. So CPS come. They have this protective agreement. Your daughter signs the protective agreement. What happens next? Okay. So um, what's interesting, I want to, before we go to the, to the what happens next 
let me say what's in, in this protective agreement. Now, mind you, they the the uh, DCS worker had just came in contact with my daughter and the and the baby's father, and in the protective agreement, it had already stated what the CPS worker thought had happened. She claimed that this was that the baby was injured as a result of domestic abuse. It was already written out. She had already put in a protective agreement that a fast assessment was done. And a fast assessment has to be done with the family. And it's a series of questions. It's very thorough, which will determine or help determine what kind of services the family may need in order to be reunited with with the child. And so all of this stuff came already pre-filled out in the IPA. And so, you know, the CPS is supposed to do a thorough investigation. Well, if you haven't had the time to do an investigation, how do you already know what happened? And, you know, when you're talking about people first coming in contact with CPS, they don't even know what they're looking at. Um, in my case, my daughter was 24, the boyfriend is 22. They didn't even realize that that was what was in the IPA until I came down to, um, you know, look at all the documents and was able to, you know, decipher what was going on because I have, you know, a history of knowing how to deal with legal stuff, uh, which most people don't. They had signed off on something that was completely false. Wow. These are some devious people. And we live in in the last days and time, family. There's a war to steal black children, and it didn't begin today. This war has been waged since we first stepped off the slave ships and on the shores of Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to continue to talk to our sister, Bakara. Walia Shabazz. So y'all stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. And I am your host, Raheem Shabazz. People are calling in. We're not going to open up the phone lines just yet. We may open them up a little later on. But y'all stay tuned, family. Check out MCJ, musicculturejournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out musicculturejournalism.com. Log on today. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. The creators of Elementary Genocide Part 1, The School to Prison Pipeline, and Part 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, present the third installment, Academic Holocaust. 
Each film produced, directed, and personally funded by writer Raheem Shabazz. Hollywood Chronicles says the documentary Elementary Genocide turns a critical eye towards the dehumanizing educational environment that criminalizes black and brown youth by funneling them from schools to prisons. If you've learned anything, shared any content, or have received any value from the Elementary Genocide brand, you're going to love Elementary Genocide 3, featuring the likes of Kaba Kemi, David Banner, Shahad Razad Ali, Michael M. Hotep, and Professor James Small. To help spread this important message to the masses, visit elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Please share our cause with your family and friends. Necessary Blackness Podcast every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Peace and power, Black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are back. We are talking to Pakira. Walia Shabazz, and we are talking about the incident that involved her granddaughter, Seven. We spoke about CPS, what they do. We talked about how they came in contact with her daughter, the protective agreement that they use technology in order for her to sign, and why it's not a good idea to sign a protective agreement without the counsel of an attorney. Now, after this protective agreement was signed, what would, what happened next? So, um, after the agreement was signed, uh, the stipulations were that she was to have visitation with her, um, her and the baby's father was able to have visitation from nine in the morning, well, seven in the morning to nine at night. They could not live inside of their home. The baby was, um, custody was transferred to, my mother, her grandmother, um, and they had to go through certain services. So you have to have a psychological evaluation and they were saying anger management and the anger management was put on there because of the caseworkers saying that this was a result of domestic violence. Um, and so, um, I also want to add that the father is a veteran and my daughter is a current active duty, um, soldier in the U S army, the army, um, took a position where it supported my daughter. Didn't believe, they didn't believe that she had done this. However, they did offer um, her mandatory parenting classes because it was protocol, and they also followed the protective order of DCS. Um, so now you're just sitting and waiting, and we're like, so when is this investigation going to start? You know, what does it entail? They're trying to act like they're your friends. You know, they do all of that, that extra stuff. And then... Um, um, it was about midway, the beginning of March. My daughter was like, Mom, I don't feel like something is right. They're not telling us something. And so I come down and I review everything. And um, she was right. So in the in the IPA, it also said that this thing was, this domestic balance was evidenced by the caseworker. Now, mind you, the caseworker couldn't have evidenced anything because she hadn't seen them prior to first coming in contact with them in, um, in February at the hospital. And the baby was never returned back to her parents. And so how could you evidence anything when you had never seen the baby with her parents 
um, individually. The baby had stay, had stayed in unsupervised custody of my mother, and so I started to peep how DCS um, is able to facilitate a, a way to steal these babies and to substantiate it, um, you know, in a court of law uh, with the approval of, of, of judges and society. And I don't want to leave us out because since I came in, in contact with this, there's parents all over the United States that's hollering about what's going on with them in DCS and it's been kind of like swept under the rug. And so it is now our obligation to make sure that we are bellowing out loudly about the egregious um, processes of this, this system that allows uh, black babies to be stolen. And so currently right now we represent 12.3% of the population while 38% of our babies are being taken by DCS. That's absolutely ridiculous. Now I want to ask you something real quickly. The, CPS worker, this was her first contact with the family when they actually made them sign the protective agreement, correct? Right, correct. So there's no police report stipulating that there was an argument, domestic violence, police wasn't nope. called to the to the house. They just, out of right. thin air, just grasping for stores and assuming. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And, there is no, and, and I went, just in case... Um, because just because it's my daughter, I still do this work and I have to do my due diligence to thoroughly investigate all cases. So I'm not biased in my work. I, I called and I, was there any calls to the house? Had anybody made any calls on them um, with the police um, on or off base? There hasn't been. There's not been any reports of violence um, from them being when they were in school or in their neighborhoods prior to them coming into the military. So um, and they hadn't had any disciplinary um records for anger or anything of that sort, anything for that matter, um, in the military. So this was completely fabricated, just completely fabricated. Wow. It does, it really doesn't surprise me when we know who we're dealing with and our history and our past with them. Um, you just gave us some statistics. 38% of our children are being placed in CPS and custody. Right. Yeah. And when you look at those numbers, you know, um, in Chicago, 95% of all children in foster care are black. And we know that once you're in foster care and you're black, you remain longer, you move more often than any, any other ethnic group, and you receive fewer service, and you're less likely to be returned to home or adopted than another child. So, and that's with a low risk score. And that's a, that's extremely important for us to understand that we will have a lower risk score than our white counterparts and our white counterparts will be reunited with their families quicker than we are. And they get to stay with their families and not be removed more often than black families. Why is there not a public outcry or a massive civil rights lawsuit against uh, CPS in these court systems. So what they do is they use propaganda, <laughs> which is the, the world's number one tool to keep the masses dumbed down. So if we if if we have a system that puts out that children are being abused, of course everybody wants to protect children. But if the numbers that they're using is saying that 1.6 million children are being abused in the United States every day, or 
or like they did when they put out the Hernandez story that, that you know, shook the world about um, CPS and how they should move um, to make us believe that more children are being abused and not, then it calls for, you know, stricter laws to be um, put in place and advocated for, um, stricter policies within DCS to be implemented. And so they have the world believing that more children than not are being abused and so that they can cover up this this thing and use that as a guise to bring to siphon children into the system when that is not true. And I'm going to say this, 76% of all DCS cases are neglect cases. And neglect can be something so simple as if they came by and your house wasn't clean, your porch was dirty, you were sick, you got dishes all in the sink. It's, it's built on a, um, a, a Europeanized Europeanized um, um, concept, technology, yes, of how we should um, keep our houses or, or whatever they deem is uh, suitable for them. If we haven't met that criteria, it can it can spawn our children being taken away, which is 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 nuts because they have absolutely no cultural competency whatsoever to even you know render us neglectful. And so when we have seventy six percent of children in CPS custody. In there because of neglect. If you subtract that from 100, you are left with 24%. And so, really, when we want to look at the numbers of actual cases that CPS should be involved in, it's only 24%. So, all of those other children, those things that they are in there for could be quickly remedied if the, if the family was given the supports and the services that they really needed. Um, we know that foster parents get anywhere up to $1,500 a month per child, but yet you give the family $0 to rectify whatever situation you have removed their child from. That's absolutely nuts. They do the same thing with um, with uh, juvenile justice. When you remove a child and put the child in detention, we're spending $227,000 per year per child to house a, child, a juvenile in, in detention and give the family absolutely no services, the child no services. I have a nephew that went in Actually, um, he went into to, to juvenile, then came out, went into, they charged him as an adult. He went into um, an adult prison and came home with no GED. How do we substantiate them taking money from us for taxes and, and putting these children back into a society where they're not going to be able to reamalgamate themselves? And we also know that children that go into foster care are nine times more likely to end up in prison. I was just going to hit on that, sister, because, you know, that's my thing, the school-to-prison pipeline. And yes. I have been studying, and my study led me to the research of what happens to children in foster homes. When they turn 18, they are forced out of the system with mm -hmm. nothing, no resources, yes. no money, no support system. And many people believe, such as myself, and we view the foster care system nothing more than a holding cell until they're older enough right. for them to put them in prison. That is exactly what it is. And, 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 and I liken it to be prison now. When they took my grandbaby, they put my grandbaby in prison. Anywhere outside of the home is prison. So already my grandba my grandbaby has done over 30 days in prison, actually six weeks in prison already. And the only crime she only crime that we could say had happened here is that she was born black in America. And that's that's all they need is for you to be black, born in America, and they could say that you're neglecting your child. Now, I, I want our listeners to just know how petty 
it is for them to use neglect because under mm-hmm. their guidelines, neglect is sending your children to school in an unseasonably light jacket, meaning that you probably didn't check what the weather was and you probably said, oh, yesterday was hot. You don't need a jacket today. And he goes out with maybe a sweatshirt or a Mm t-shirt. And throughout the day, the weather may have changed and the teacher says, you know, you should have on a jacket. You may get a cold. And she reports that, that you're neglecting your child. That's right. They may say that his clothes is not uh, uh, clean. You know, he doesn't come to school tidy or he's not well-groomed. And, you know, um, parents, they try to teach their kids independence. You know, they may let them pick out their own clothes or or certain things like that. Any little thing can be overlooked when that child gets on that school bus and you put them in the hands of your open enemy. So we have to be careful about that family. But, you know, I'm a researcher and I've been trying to find out where this whole concept of putting children in foster homes and where the whole ideology of the foster care system comes from. And um, what I discovered is is mind-boggling because um, anybody that knows about the foster care system, you will see that the initial practitioners of the foster care system was the Catholic Charities. (laughs) So... We, we, we can go back there and we can find out and we're going to talk about that a little more. I'm going to go deep into it. I'm going to tell you about the founder and what his thoughts was on black society. Because let me tell you something. The Catholic charities that started the foster care system, they was for immigrant children. It wasn't for black children. If you was black, you couldn't go into an orphanage. That's what really started. It started out as an orphanage. But if you was black, they wouldn't even take you into the orphanage. It was for the immigration children. And then right after World War II, a lot of things changed. So we're going to get into that and more when I come back. This is Raheem of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And we are speaking to our sister, our warrior and fighter who's out here on the front line fighting for our black babies, Bakuria, Walia, Shabazz. And I hope I'm not messing up your name, sister. Can you pronounce your name for everybody? Bakira Walia Shabazz. Okay. You know I'm going to get that right, that last name right, Shabazz. Y'all know about the Godhead tribe of Shabazz. So we're going to be right back, family. Just stay tuned. This is Siraj, founder of the Man in the Mirror Project, hanging out with Raheem Shabazz, all the way from the UK, representing that Necessary Blackness podcast. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Bully Podcast. You know me when you see me, you heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness Podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main number one cousin from another oven, my man Raheem Shabazz, man. 
man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is the lowrider guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton from Compton, California. When I'm traveling around the world or I'm in the car, I got Necessary Blackness, the podcast on checking out my man, Ryan Shabazz. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. All right, family, we are back from our quick commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, we are speaking with Bakora Walia Shabazz. And we are talking about CPS, Child Protective Services, and the technology that they use to kidnap and steal black babies. And just before we went to commercial break, I was talking about the origin of the foster care system and how it started it from the orphanages that was run by the Catholic charities. Now, one of the earlier founders of child welfare was an individual, a Neanderthal, a white guy, whatever you want to call him. I call him Neanderthals. And his name was Charles Lauren Brace. And he states... The purpose was to prevent these dangerous classes from exploding into rage against the rule of capital. Let me say that again. He states that the purpose of the child welfare system was to prevent these dangerous classes from exploding into rage against the rule of capital. That sounds like the United States of America the oligarchs, the 1% that don't want the majority of the people to receive wealth. That sounds like eugenics. It sounds like everything that we know. So this CPS and their history, all you have to do is trace the money. You go back to the mindset of individuals that started it. Now, before we bring the sister back on and I ask her a few more questions, I want to be the first one to say, right, there are some people that work for Child Protective Services and they truly want to do their job. They're there to stop abuse. But like anything else, they are working for a system. There's only so much they can do. A lot of them, when they do try to speak out, their voice is silenced. A lot of them are fired. A lot of them, they see what's going on and they can't, they can't phantom it. They go into other fields of work and they feel like if they can help one or two people, then they're doing their job. But they know that this is a racist and a corrupt system. So let's bring the sister back on, Walia. I want you to tell me about some of the things that happened after um, Seven was taken. I understand that you guys took your granddaughter to the hospital and some things was discovered that proved that there was no neglect, that there was no abuse. Can you talk about that? Right. So what that happened was when I came down here and started to advocate for my daughter, the system didn't like it. So they orchestrated a plan to fully remove her from us when they found out that we were going to get a second opinion. 
And so what they did was that they had this meeting and they orchestrated the line that we were going to take the baby out of the state, which was well within our right to take the baby out of the state to a bone specialist. We were going to D.C. However, they were stating that we didn't have the right to. And so they had a, a cop system um, to remove the baby out of our custody. They took her without a warrant, um, without probable cause. And they knew that that was a violation of our our constitutional rights, state violation of laws, and their own policy. But they had an armed police officer that assist them with that kidnapping. And so we didn't have a body, we didn't have the corpus delecti to present to the doctor. So all we did have was the medical record. So we submitted the medical record to another orthopedist down in Nashville to review. Um, once, it, once, that, once her... Um, her take came back on and it was that um, this was not child abuse, but in fact looked more like mechanical birth injury or metabolic bone disease. Now they never tell you about metabolic bone disease and they never tell you about birth injury either. And oftentimes uh, my daughter's baby was delivered by a midwife and the midwife said, well, I didn't, I didn't hear a pop in the clavicle. So I didn't hear it to note it. And because we don't do x-rays when babies are born, I wouldn't have known that anything was wrong with the with her ribs. And she apologized, and that was that. Um, and and really that was all she, you know, she could say. She didn't know. Um, just like my daughter didn't know. So um we pre- presented this this record from the orthopedist saying, hey, this is not what it is, but then they make that not be enough. And they're like, well, it needs to say specifically that. It's not child abuse. But Vanderbilt's records didn't have to say conclusively that it was. And I'm not understanding it. Even the orthopedist from the child abuse hospital said he wanted to see the baby back in six to eight months in case this was some underlying bone disease. So it, it just it just makes me really angry because they didn't read the whole report. And I'm going to tell you, people, you got to be able to read these these medical reports and look up these words that you don't know. Because I had to do all of that, too. And then I, I found on page two, it said that the baby's trauma lab was unremarkable, which means that there was no trauma done to this baby. So if there's no trauma, how is this child abuse? It also said that there was no um, no scarring, no bruising, no internal bleeding. There was no subhematomas. There was no intracranial damages. The baby's internal organs were all intact. There was no busted blood vessels. There was nothing that would substantiate a claim of child abuse. Because what we do know is that you can't abuse somebody, physically abuse somebody without touching them. And so it says that this ba- with all the extra stuff, it says that this baby was not touched in any way externally to cause any trauma to the body. So how are we substantiating child abuse with just what a pediatrician saying, well, absent any underlying disease the injury itself is consistent. But she didn't make a statement of, you know, that was conclusive that it was. And she couldn't, and she knows she could And the hospital knew it couldn't. But we also know, again, they're being paid for these referrals. Yeah, this is, this is something that I think everybody should be applauded at. And there's another component to all of this. You know, you always have to follow the money. We know that CPS hospitals, as you stated, get $2.2 million, right? The other component to this is when they take these children, and you 
enlighten me to it. And you can, I'll, I'll let you explain it to everybody else. But there's a time frame where your child can be placed up for adoption. You want to talk about that? Right. Okay. So um, under the, um, the Safe Families Act, uh, in an effort to um, protect children, they have the, the federal government has expedited the adoption process. And so if your child is in, um, in custody, any 15 out of 22 months, the agency can um, apply to terminate a parent's parental rights. Once your parental rights are terminated, they can immediately fast track your child to an adoption. Um, in fact, that is exactly what they do because there's no other option. Um, and they'll put your child up for adoption. And let me explain to you all this, people. They have children up for adoption in every state in the United States. And you can go to the DCS site and pull up all of these children that are for sale. Now, you think about pedophilia. And you think about these people that have, it, it's just, it's open. So you can just go and look at it. And so how are we protecting the sanctity of children by having them a, a, available on an open page for anybody to be able to see that they're up for sale? This is worse than Craigslist and Backpage. Yes, it is. Because it is, it is children, but yet a court will put a gag order on a parent from being able to to, to go to the social media and explain the oppression that's going on to their child saying that you don't want the child to be embarrassed, but yet you got children up for sale for anybody to be able to see if they click on your website. And most times they're not. When these kids are placed up for adoption, they do not reach out to immediate family or extended family. And they are giving to individuals that don't look like you and I, that don't have right. the same cultural background. Right. And what this is called is called transracial adoption. And it does several things to the children. So you cannot say transracial adoption is in the best interest of children because it does more harm than good when they lose their identity and their communication right. with their family and their loved ones. They are ill-prepared to deal with racism, they don't understand their culture no more, and they're susceptible to a lot of different things, as we see when we look to black society and we have individuals that's blacker than black, but on the wrong side of history and stand 10 feet down with the oppressor. Exactly. And my grandbaby was placed with the with white family um, and, and, I, and I liken it to a cultural raping. There is nothing that any European can teach any African-American child about that culture. They can read a book all day, but the lived experience is what the system is lacking um, when they talk about it's being okay with children being placed with different races. All they need is love. No. In order to truly talk about love, one has to be able to love who they are and be immersed in that culture and know what it is and live Teach. it and being appreciated. Teach. Um, and th that can't happen. That's right. And, you know, this brings to mind, I remember listening to a broadcast on NPR radio. And there also a news article as well. And it talked about black babies cost less to adopt. And this article that was posted, it talked about transracial adoption. And it talks about the racial component of it and why 
it's not good. And in the end, black society is going to suffer from transracial uh, adoption. The statistics that I read was mind-boggling. When you find out to adopt a Caucasian child is approximately $35,000, plus some legal expenses, of course. And for a black child, it's $18,000. And if you happen to be biracial, it's $24,000 to $26,000. So from the onstart, black life is the value at birth. They treat you as such. And I tell people all the time, they will treat you like a child and punish you like an adult. And that's what they do to black children's parents where they take away your rights. You don't have a right to the education that they receive, the religion that is being indoctrinated into them. Now, when you place a child in a foster care system and they are working to um, reunite uh, a child with their parent, you're supposed to still be able to participate in educational activities, uh, know about their medical condition. They're supposed to still adhere to your religious beliefs. None of this is done for black children because right. parents don't know that and because there is a deliberate system to take everything from you. This is the same thing as the transatlantic slave trade where they take it's your religion. Exactly yeah. That's right. They take your it's religion, exactly. your God. They take everything from you. Several instances where they adopt a child and they change his name. Yes. Instead of uh, your child having the name Akura Wagusi, now her name is Becky Furbenstein. <laughs> No, this is and serious. It's so not funny. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we, we can laugh at we it. But this, it's funny. We laugh because that is pathetic. But this is what actually happens. There are a lot of tricks that is being used and deployed to steal these babies out of their parents' arms. Can you enlighten our listening audience? What are some of the tricks to look out for and some of the expenses and support <laughs> systems that they need to have in place? And don't think that just because you may be middle class that you're not vulnerable. The only thing difference between you and a poor person is you probably able to afford legal counsel and you better hope you got Johnny Cochran on your case. Right. Um, and even and, and what's interesting about that is that um, Johnny Cochran actually did fight a case out of um, out of Tennessee with the same hospital. I'm dealing with right now, and even he was not able to win um, the case on all of the the grounds that he had, and they were good grounds, but they were defeated. And so that's that's what's so so damning about this situation is that we are rendered helpless and hopeless in this thing. And so what 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 parents need to, anytime you're contacted by CPS, I advise that you do not talk to them that, you know, you require an attorney um, immediately. And because um, of the investigation, depending on what level they um, say you are, two and a three will, will normally initiate a petition against you, you request an attorney. Um, 
or or have to try to hire one yourself. But I would not to, I would not talk to them without having um, legal counsel and always keep good records. Record from the from day one. Record everything and email everything. Don't have, try to have as little as possible verbal conversation with these people. You want to track that. You want to make sure you have your impeccable records so that you can um, be able to use them and put them on the record in court in case there's some foul play. And nine times out of ten, it's always foul play with DCS because their mission is not to reunify. It is to take your child and put your child up for adoption. Um, also, uh, you want to make sure that you are staying on top of medical because what happened with my daughter is DCS removed my daughter's name and the child's father off of all of the medical contacts and placed the foster parents in place of the parents and so that they would not know what was going on medically. Uh, also understand that they're using these foster children to experiment with vaccines as well. So they'll get your child in there and say that um, your child is suffering from all these uh, um psychotic disorders just to be able to dope your child up and to try different drugs on your child. So make sure you stay on top of your um, the medical uh, uh, appointments and things like that. As long as your parental rights are not terminated, you are the ones that should make the appointments and you should be there at all times. Make sure you make all of your visits. They will try to terminate your visitation rights, which they did with my daughter until I, I They basically were retaliating against her because of my advocacy and exposing the agency. But we were able to get a recorded conversation of them saying that they were wrong in doing that. And they restored the visitation rights. They stopped her from being able to breastfeed. That was not able to be continued because the amount of time had passed. You know, she just wasn't able to continue to breastfeed. They denied the baby breast milk. That is a that is a major violation. We know our babies need this breast milk to build up um, antibodies. And, you know, anytime that they, they you know, stop you from bringing breast milk in, that's a violation. Uh, get copies of everything that you have and always, always reserve all of your rights and sign everything up underneath the rest. Because if you are a parent that did not commit the abuse, you are under duress throughout this whole entire procedure and you want to be able to maintain that because it is a legal defense. And I always have people that can that can treat um you went out. Can you say that again? Uh, you want to have people that can always vouch for you. It is very important to be able to get people to write letters on your behalf to the judge because they'll try to tear you down as a parent. Um you you can be the best parent. They're gonna make sure that you are seen as the worst parent. Also, our communities, more than ever today, we need to have people that can come up and say, hey, I'm going to take this child. Um, we're not going to put the child in, in the foster care. Um, it is extremely important that we have people on deck in our communities to make sure that we are safe because we are the only people that keep us safe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we do not want our babies going into foster care. That needs to be a last resort. But the trick that they'll do is say that nobody is available for kinship placement. They do not need kinship placement with my daughter and wouldn't allow us to use anybody else in the family. That is a violation. Put everything on the record. Make sure your lawyer has everything and you demand that everything be put on the record because in case you need to appeal your case, if you don't have it in the record, the appeals court cannot hear anything being brought in that was not on the record in the previous case. Now, what was the reason for them denying you? 
because I have it. Okay, so I have a, a criminal background record. I'm not a felon, and I don't have any barrier crimes. The, the real reason why she said she didn't feel comfortable with placing my granddaughter with me because I was this, I'm deceptive. So in my in the past, I used to commit white collar crime. That is what I used to do. I ain't shamed about it or whatever. That was that was my mo. I was a single parent. I did what I needed to do to make sure that my children had the best life possible. Since then, you know, all of that has turned around. And for the state of Tennessee, I qualified to adopt and to foster children. So basically, they just wanted to to retaliate against my family because of my advocacy. She had no right. And her feelings should have never became a, 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 a thing that she uses. Um, it's not about what you feel. It's about what I qualify for. So you, in that case, we notated all of that. It's nothing that you can really do about it, but you can notate it and put it in the record and say that they violated not only um, their policy, but they violated federal policy that says that children are supposed to be placed with kin first before going into foster care. And they also are supposed to obtain a warrant before ever taking a child out of the home and that's another big thing that they continuously do and they just haven't been reprimanded enough for it i spoke to an attorney out of california that says all he does is cps cases he says money is not the issue because guess what the agency doesn't pay for their lawsuits guess who pays for their lawsuits taxpayers do that's right and so we should be mad as hell that we're allowing these agencies to just run rampant and we got to pay for their malfeasance you know what's so crazy? Because I've been studying a lot of the things that they're doing, the laws, and even with the laws, right? When they don't follow the laws and the judge knows off top that this is a, a constitutional violation of your rights, they still side with CPS. But what I found real troubling is that the police can't question a minor or not supposed to question a minor without a parent present, but DCS can do it. It's mind-boggling as if DCS have more power than the police. They can actually go to the school without the parent present and say, listen, I need to speak to the child and take the child to a remote area, tell them, pull up their shirt, let me see your arms, do you hear your mother arguing and let me, have you ever been hitting or abused? Do your mother yell at you? Like, it's it's crazy how these people can speak to your child, not mm-hmm. in your presence, but, but you won't let the police do that, but you will let these people. How do they get more power? That's the question I want you to answer if you can. How do they get more power than the actual police? Okay, so parents patriot <laughs> gives the state absolute authority over um over our children and i forgot the case hold on one minute i'm a novice you got to explain that to me what's parent patri so it is the state's obligation to protect the most vulnerable which would be children and elderly and so they say they have a higher obligation to to protect them than parents because parents um, are likely to abuse the children. They don't realize that they are actually ones that abuse the children too. They're going to, of course, um, leave themselves out of that equation. But because they have an obligation to protect these children, they have a greater interest in our babies than we do. And there's a court case that says that as soon as our babies are born, they um, owe their allegiance to the government. 
and that slipped by me. I just found out about it about a month ago. Um, and so, you know, when we have when we have court cases that say that our children, as soon as they enter into this ether, owe their allegiance to a government that has done nothing but rape, pillage, abuse, sodomize, and kill, um, then like I have a problem with that. Um, and and my child's allegiance is is to its creator. So how do you get to 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 come up with something that says that a child's allegiance is to its government? And so since it, the child's allegiance is to its government, the government is saying its allegiance is to them, and so they have a greater interest than we do. Wow. This is just unbelievable. A lot of this information I have not knew about previously, and I'm learning as you are dispersing this wisdom and dropping these jewels and giving this timely advice about what the parents' rights are and what's going on in this system. Uh, There's a few other things that I feel is very important that parents should know. One of the things is that if you do find yourself in an unfortunate situation with CPS and they knock at your door, remember any information you share with them can be shared with prosecutors who could use them in a criminal case and have criminal charges filed against you. So a lot of times you feel like, oh, this is not a criminal investigation. I don't need a lawyer. And you speak to them and you can say something that is misconstrued and you can't say anything at all. A lie can be told on you and it will be used in a criminal case because child abuse is a criminal case. So if you think that they just will just take your child and say that you, you, you're abusive to your child. There can be charges filed against you, and you can find yourself in a whole lot of uh, trouble. Now, yes, an- another thing is if your child is removed, you need to know that you have a right to a detention hearing, and that has to be under the law held within 48 hours. It's, if you look at some of the laws... Uh, some of the rules, the regulation and legislation that is written about these bills. If you just study this whole system, it almost mirrors the criminal justice system. When you get arrested, what they have, 72 hours to arraign you. So when they kidnap you and take you, they got 48 hours to bring you in front of a judge and have a detention hearing. This is the same thing, family. You got to know it for what it is and not what it presents itself to be. Study the facts of it and know what's going on. Now, we're going to take one more quick commercial break, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk more with this sister, and we're going to wrap it up. My name is Raheem Shabazz. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. 
Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into necessary blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. This is Shirley. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie Raheem Shabazz on a necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Okay, we are back from our quick, very quick commercial break. I told y'all this was going to be quick. Before we left, we was giving out some advice and letting parents know that they have certain rights. Um, there's so many of them. And once you start seeing what your rights are and you know your rights, you'll be better prepared to fight against CPS and anybody else. But when you look at what your rights are, some of the uh, procedures that are enforced, it mirrors the criminal justice system. You know, earlier I spoke about if your child is removed, you have 48 hours for a detention hearing. If you're arrested, you know, you have uh, 72 hours before you be arraigned. Even um, in child abuse and neglect uh, situations, you have a right to a lawyer. If you can't afford a lawyer, one will be appointed to you by the courts. They tell you the same thing when you're arrested. You have a right to remain silent. Same thing here. So this system is the same as the criminal justice system, which we know is corrupt. Uh, when you do um, go in and you have hearings, you have a right to cross-examine any witness. You have the right to present evidence. The same thing as in a criminal court case. They may not act like it's not a criminal proceeding, but let me tell you something. You're dealing with criminals, so you need to proceed as such. So that's it for me. I know there's a lot of other things and other rights that you need to be aware of, but family, everything is online. Do your due diligence. Find out. Get with an organization that's out here that are helping the people. And before we leave, we're going to let you know about some organizations. But all right, Queen Sister, you still here with me? I am here. All right, so after you presented the information and you let them know about the second opinion of the doctor, you told us um, what happened after that. Do you think that was one of the reasons why they allowed uh, your daughter to... Uh, well, not your daughter. They allowed your, uh, the daughter's mother to receive, your other grandmother to receive uh, custody of the baby? So when she was released um, from, from foster care prison, it was because they didn't have probable cause to remove the baby in the first place. Um, so she had to be returned. Uh, what's interesting now is that, you know, you have to go through the doctors to, to get them to, you know, provide um, evidence that this was not child abuse. And so that's where we are right now with this with this case. But my daughter's had to move completely out of her home um, so that my mother can be in um, in her apartment 
And, you know, they have given her supervised visits. She only gets eight hours. Of, well, they get eight hours a month to see the baby and it's supervised outside of my mother. Eight hours? I'm off eight hours. Out of 720 hours in a week, they get eight hours. And they can't, they can't, they, they can't just go to your mother's house and see them? Well, you know, my mother lives in Virginia. They, she had to move into their house. And so, no, they cannot go to their house at all and see that baby. They cannot go to that house, period. Unless it's the, the supervised visitation spot that is designated by this outside agency. I'm also a part of that visitation order. They, um, when we filed to become um, parties to the case, um, they made me a part of that visitation order as well. So I can't even see my grandbaby. It was like they punished us for going to get um, my granddaughter back from out of, you know, out of foster care. And, you know, they spoke a lot about my advocacy on Facebook. They hated it. Um, and so, um, since then I've decided to come off as the intervening petitioner so that I continue to advocate for families that are going through this situation because the gag orders, if they, if they allow us to stay quiet, nobody will ever know about the egregious things that they are doing to families out here and these babies, um, that they're not protecting. And so I have came off and let my mother stay on as the, as the, um, intervening petitioner because I realized they're not going to, you know, give me the baby or let me be a vital part of my own biological grandchild's life until this thing is over. And so, you know, so be it. Let me ask you a quick question. By you coming off, does that um, give you the right now to have a visitation since you're not a part of the party no more? No, I will not have visitation at this time. So now that I came off, I won't be able to see my granddaughter at all. Um, I won't be able to be considered for placement. If something happens to my mother, um, the baby will go back and forth. And this, this is the trap. This is the trap, family. Um, if something happens to my mother, the baby will go back into foster care because they're not, they, they are not going to, even though I am her next of kin, they will not consider me. Um, um, and they have absolutely no right to not consider me except for the fact that they are the dominant race, um, at this particular time and they do what they want to do. But that's why it's so important that we get this information out here so that we can band together to change the, this, you know, these policies from the federal government so it can trickle down to the state and we need to also remove immunity from these agencies. They should absolutely not have any type of um, limited or judicial or quasi uh, uh, um, judicial immunity for their egregious acts that they bestow upon families because we have spent in two months over $10,000 that we will not be able to get back because of immunity. You cannot file suit. All of these parents that child abuse um, hospital said were child abuse, um, you know, it was child abuse, and then we found out that it wasn't, and the families had to go through all of these hoops. They could not sue DCS, and you can't tell me that this is not deliberate because they have everything they need to, to, to find out that it's not, but they won't do that, and they're banking on people being ignorant of the law, ignorant of their rights, ignorant of the process, which will be the majority of us, to include me at one time, you know, and, 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 they, and they win just off of that alone. It is absolutely sickening what they do. And if you enter into the, into DCS at the age of 12, the likelihood of you ending up into uh, uh, in sex trafficking is 86% more likely than not. Children are coming up missing. And so when CPS abuses the child, why is the child not removed out of CPS's custody like it is a mother's or a father's? I don't understand the double standard. Yeah, this is crazy. But when we're dealing with the devil that's doing devilishment, we're going to have situations like this. And 
no man, no woman can fight back by themselves. We're no. gonna need everybody on deck. We're gonna need all boots on ground. Now this right. sister laid out some uh strategic tactics that we must do so that if we find ourselves in similarly situated incidents, we know how to proceed. And the main one is to have a support system, have a plan of action. If any of your kids is kidnapped, who can step up and provide for them and take custody of them? Because You need to do that now. You can go and and sign a legal directive um, right now. So if something happens to you, your children are supposed to go with X. And that way, that will stop CPS from being able to intervene um, with, with placement. That child will legally have to go to whoever you designate. You can do that right now. I've asked everybody to do that right now. You know what else I want to talk to you about, sister? I was yes. speaking with someone else, right? And they was telling me about, they in New York, by the way. And they was telling me in New York State, they have this registry for child abuse and maltreatments yeah. that parents get on, right? Yeah. You automatically placed on that whenever there's uh, CPS shows up at your house, whether yeah. allegation is alleged from you. And like you stated, you know, 85%. Of these allegations, they find out not to be true. Um, you're never taken off of this registry. Right. And this registry is a registry that comes up when you try to be a social worker, a school bus aide, a school teacher. And it can take up to 10 years for your name to uh, come off of this registry. You have to have a lawyer. It could take months and months. And there's no oversight on who can come, who 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 can go on there and what names can come off of there. So for someone saying that you don't properly feed your children because you don't give them a diet that includes meat. You just feed your children plant-based meals and uh, CPS comes to your house and they have to open an investigation. Your name will be on that list with child predators yep. and rapists. Yep. So a lot of times when your name is on this list, it just says that um, you had some interaction with the law for child abuse and maltreatment. It, it, that that's it. All someone has to do is just see child abuse. Right. And um, like I said, you know, you can stay on this registry for ten to twenty years, and this can stop you from uh, gaining employment. And there's yeah. a movement in New York to actually, and they're working on um, getting that overturned and dismantled. Right. It, it's, you make sure that when you lawyer, when you go to your final hearing to put that in the order for your name to be removed and make sure that they give them, like give them 30 days to do it and for them to send you proof. And if they don't send you proof, then, they, then that the agency is dishonor and in dishonor and then you can file whatever you need to file against the agency for not removing your name, for you know, pain and suffering and damages and things like that. Make sure you put everything in your order. Don't verbally ask the judge or verbally ask DCS to do something. 
put it in your court order so that if it's not done, they have violated the orders. And that's very important that we want to have a record of, of violations because that goes against the commissioners of these agencies and the governor of the state. And so we can hold them accountable if we have court order violations that the agency has not, you know, rectified and the governor supports by not forcing them to do so. That's crazy, man. A lot of this that that is going on. You know, I earlier referred to uh, CPS and the child foster care system as um, the criminal justice system. And when you start looking at these numbers, you start to wonder, you know, um, with the federal government, if you have a federal case, they have over 90% conviction rate, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you juxtapose that to what's going on with uh, CPS. I'll just right. take in, uh, Indiana as, as a state, right? In Indiana, only 15% of cases are proven to be child abuse or neglect. That means 85% are unsubstantiated yeah. or unfounded. That's crazy. If yep, that yes, let me let me tell you something. That more children than not are being abused, and that's just not the case. And, and, and all of these statistics is on the website, on their website. You know what I mean? You can read them in books, but just take those statistics, right? Eighty-five percent are unfound, right? In the criminal justice system, eighty-five percent are found not guilty. There would be no criminal justice system. If 85% of the people arrested are found to be not guilty, the evidence against them are unsubstantiated. But this system still exists. This, there need to be a new call. When we talk about dismantling the prison industrial complex, there need to be a new call to dismantle CBS. I said CBS. And you know, um, I wanted to bring up that the burden of proof is lower. Um, it's a, a preponderance of evidence. So you, it takes a higher burden for you to be, be convicted of a petty larceny than it does for your child to be removed and auctioned off at the slave auction. That's crazy. You hear it right here first. This is Necessary Blackness podcast, and we are speaking with Bikora Walia Shabazz, and this sister has been enlightening us on a situation that concerns her granddaughter, Seven, and we are happy that she is back home with her family, biological family, and she's no longer in the care, custody, and control of the open enemy. Now, there is several different cases that have happened in the past where people have actually lost custody of their child and it was proven that they didn't abuse their child and their child was adopted. Um, I know of one particular case where a child suffered a stroke, not trauma, but a stroke, and was removed from the house because they said it was abuse. And they said that she was shaken. And it was yep. later proven to be false. But guess what? By the time it was proven to be false, the baby, 
was already adopted. Did you hear what I said, family? By the time it was proven to be false, the baby was already adopted. How do you write that wrong? They did not take that baby back from adoptive parents and apologize and say, oh, we sorry. This is what we're dealing with. I read about a case in um, Chicago. It was a young lady. She she had a hell of a life, um, but she turned her life around. And um, she was like the matriarch of the family and her brother's. You know, they was in and out of jail, the rest of the families, and she would take in all their kids. And um, someone reported her. I think it was someone, might have been a school teacher. And um, they said her house was too small. And she wind up having, they wanted her to get another bigger house. And she wind up getting ill where she couldn't work and she wasn't making the money. The um, In order to get, I think it was a six-bedroom house, it was going to be like $3,600 a month. How many people could afford that? You know, do you think they offered this lady help? But they give foster care parents how much you said how much what, what is the pay for them $1500 about 1500 about if she had 60 it's $1500 per child you know what she could have did with that kept that family intact but that is not what they want nope and you know we 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 really need um individuals like you sister that um can light the fire up under them and I, I, I know for a fact something good will emerge out of this movement. And I don't know if it's prematurely to let them know, but you was telling me about a big event that you wanted to have. You want to talk about that? Or is that yes. premature? No, it's not premature. So um, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And then um, my organization, which is Criminal Justice Reform Network, is planning to have a million families march against CPS um, in D.C. in April of 2022. We're currently in the, in the early planning stages. Um, COVID has kind of gotten in the way of that right quick, but we're still going to push forward. And what we want to do is, is give these families a platform for their voices to be heard so that we can hold our legislators, uh, legislators accountable to reform. Um, it is necessary. And so oftentimes these people get swept up under the rush because most folks believe that they are truly abusers and people don't want to listen to people who they think have abused children. We get it. But that's not the case here. Um, our legislators really need to know what's going on. And what's interesting is that we had two legislators, one out of Arkansas and another one out of and, uh, Georgia, in fact, the 50th district that was working on major um, DCS reform. And, and interesting enough, these two women came up dead. Are murdered. you serious? Oh yeah, um, the the it was a lady in um on the, uh, that was a former state representative in Arkansas. She it was twenty seven million dollars that was mis um appropriated with DCS. Um, they traced the money back, and it, the money was found to have been siphoned to the Clinton Foundation and Shell Gas. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Georgia, she was just um exposing the agency saying that it was uh, uh, they were kidnapping children and just really breaking down the system and she came up dead as well. 
Did you ever see that? I don't remember the name of it. And I watched this like about, it had to be more about two weeks ago. It's a documentary on um, Netflix about um, CPS. Did you see that documentary? About um, the uh, Hernandez case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. When you were saying, when you. One of the ones that they use for propaganda to push. When you were saying about Hernandez, I thought you was talking about Aaron Hernandez. But no, it's it's, called, yeah, it's the Hernandez case. But do you see how CPS was covering up for it, lying? Yes. And the documents they was hiding, and they showed the oversight that they have and there's no transparency in yeah. nothing that they do. Like it, it was almost impossible to yeah. crack that shell and to get these documents and find out what yeah, really right. happened with this young boy. Right. And, and, and if you look at that and you, and you, and you can see the deceptive nature of this uh, uh, organization and what they're capable of doing. And it took a whistleblower in order for that um, for that situation even be right. to come to the public, that what I think people miss is that those are the cases that DCS loves. DCS loves real abuse cases. That case, that young man's mother said he did not, she did not want the child, and so they forced her to take a child that she said she did not want, just so they can extend out the funding that they were getting for interacting with that family instead of really removing that child and finding suitable parents. The uncles that wanted them, but then they claimed that the uncles were, were, were abusing them or something like that. They could have quickly fixed that case. And so that was a case where, where CPS was extremely neglectful in a real abuse case. But those are the ones that they love, and they'll keep putting the children back, keep putting them back. But in our case, when it's not abuse and it is the loving family, they take the they take the child and keep try to keep the child from the family because they want to break up the strong black nucleus of the family. This is what they want to do, family. Let's call it what it is. Let's don't play no games about it. This is not a, a situation where it's a lone individual that's doing this. This is a system, and they're all complicit. And I know there's some good people that probably work for uh, CPS, but they have no power. So before we close out, I just want to say, sister, um, I thank you for doing the work that you are doing. Um, I know that this has been a fight. It has been a struggle and it has been expensive for you and your family. And there is no recourse as far as uh, lawsuits, I don't think, because even if it is, the taxpayers is paying for it. Right. But doing... Oh, we are looking to sue them for, for a couple of things that we, we believe we got them on, but it, it is. It's on the taxpayers, and that's not fair. Yeah. The fight is not over for y'all. Is there a GoFundMe? Is there anything that anybody within hearing distance of my voice can do to help you and your family? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. So um, as I mentioned earlier, I am the um, founder of the Criminal and Justice Reform Network. We do have a, a GoFundMe and for seven on, on our Facebook page. And also we're taking um, cash donations um, for Cash App, which is the dollar sign 
First Alliance Cares. We're trying to provide um, assistance for CPS parents that are going through COVID because what we do know is that the system has not stopped for COVID and, and, and parents are losing their children because they can't get the services and they can't get the things they need to be able to go back to court and present to the court that they have rectified whatever situations. And so COVID is also aiding to the removal of children as well. Um, and, and that is absolutely horrible. So we're trying to provide parents with the resources that they need to be able to stay in compliance with court orders and make sure that CPS does not win these children from these parents. Um, so again, that's dollar sign, First Alliance Cares, and the um, GoFundMe is on my um, on my Facebook page for uh, First Alliance and Criminal and Justice Reform Network, and I'll put it on your page as well so people can easily assess it. All right. I appreciate that, sister. So she said Criminal Justice Reform Network, right? Yes. Remember that yes. name? Google it. Look it up. And where can they find that at? On Facebook. On Facebook. Go to the Facebook uh, page for Criminal Justice Reform. And then she said dollar sign. Uh, I'm not taking no phone calls. <laughs> All right. She said dollar sign. First, First Alliance Care, right? Now, listen, when I spell first, right, I spell one S-T. Is it spelt out first, Alliance? Yeah. All right, first, so it's dollar out. sign spelt out first, Alliance Care, and that's where you could uh, send your money to. And this organization is helping individuals that are dealing with um, CPS and um, also dealing with the COVID-19 situation because, as she said, it doesn't stop. You still got to have certain stipulations, and one of them might be a job, and they know ain't nobody hiring right now. Right. And, and let me tell you something else about that. One of the things they like to do is say, well, you're not financially fit to take care of a child. And guess what? You could say, well, um, I get food stamps. I have a part-time job. Or, you know, you can tell them I get welfare and I'm a single mother that's part-time in school. You know what they're going to tell you? No. Welfare and food stamps is not enough. We need, yeah. we need to know that you're working. You need to be working 40 hours. And you need to be making certain amount of money. This is crazy. Yes. This is who is trying to control our lives, family. And this is not nothing new. This has been going on for years and years and years. But as we rise up and we fight against criminal justice and we ask for criminal reform, we got to have that same anger. We got to have that same vigor that we do there for our children. In fact, we need to have more anger because we're dealing with the babies. And if we don't fight and save them, nobody else will because we're the holders and keepers of ourself and predicament. And that is the conclusion of this podcast on Necessary Blackness Podcast Network. Sister, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you that you want to say in your last closing words? No, we spoke about everything. I just want people to understand that they are just one phone call or one doctor's visit away from a CPS investigation. Please don't take this information lightly. We are trying to save your lives and the lives of your baby. Make sure that you community up 
and protect these children because CPS is not the agency that's going to do it. And it's only our responsibility to make sure that our children are safe because we keep us safe. I can't even say nothing after that, man. The only thing I'm going to say is peace and black power family. I'll see you next week. Same place, same time. Peace. Looking at this generation feeling hopeless. Looking across my shoulder, keep my eyes open. Keep my mind focused. Ain't no hocus pocus. Because when it's all said and done, they will all know us. Trying to bring us down, keep us at our lowest. They thought you broke us. <laughs> but you woke us. Not a follow modern day Moses I'm the water to the seeds that become roses Don't let